You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So we're dealing with two communication channels. We have the witnesses coming into Jerusalem to give evidence of the new moon. And we have the news of the new date, the new month, the date of the new moon going out to the diaspora. And the second chapter in the Mishnah of Rosh Hashanah is playing, is sort of, is, is um, ping-ponging between these two chains of communication. But we learned in the last Mishnah that at least until the um, heretics began to mess the system up by lighting, um, by sending out false signals, they actually used to light torches. They used to light beacons from hill to hill in order to communicate rapidly from Jerusalem to the diaspora the date of the new moon. Because a lunar month is 29 and a half days exactly, or almost exactly. So that means that the lunar month in practice can be either 29 or 30 days, but we don't know which. So if we see the new moon at the end of 29 days and we declare a new month on the 30th, we need to let people know either by lighting torches or by sending out messengers. So the Mishnah is going to ask, okay, if we did light torches, if we, if in the, in the original Sesot, when they did light torches, well, where would they light them? And here are a string of place names, which I cannot quite figure out for you. Kahati says these are all place names that string up to the mount, up to the Galil, basically. And from the Galil, they sort of look out over Syria. And searching around Wikipedia and various other historical um, sites gives slightly different information. But let's look at the Mishnah and then we'll we'll see where they seem to be meaning. Mehar ha le Sartava. So they used to light beacons from the Mount of Olives to Sartava. And Many people think this is Alexandrium, which is a fortress of King Herod's, and it overlooks the Red Sea. Although, to be honest, it's not quite high enough at Alexandrium to see the Mount of Olives. So they would have to have had some kind of tower there, some kind of high watch point in order either to see the Mount of Olives or to pass on the beacon. They'd have had to have some kind of high tower if Alexandrium really is Saratava. And of course, maybe somewhere else completely. Then from Saratava to Gropina, we don't know where that is. It's I think it's mentioned in the will of um, uh, King Herod's... I think King Herod's wife or widow mentions it in her will, but we don't know much about it. From Gropina to Chavran. Now, Chavran might be somewhere called Chauran, which is in southern Syria. And if, if it is Chauran in southern Syria, then it certainly would track a line going over to Babylon, over the desert, and then from Chavran to Beit Biltin. I don't know where Beit Biltin is. But anyway, the Mishnah continues. From Beit Biltin, they didn't move. But they would wave it backwards and forwards and up and down. So they've got these big poles, these big torches on poles. And they're waving them backwards and forwards and up and down until they see the next beacon light up. And 
in this case, this is the last beacon. They wave it around. Ad kol until they see the whole of the diaspora before him lit up like one bonfire. So it sounds like the whole of the diaspora between Eretz Israel and Bavel could be seen from Beit Biltin. And as soon as they light the, the beacon in Beit Biltin, everyone can see it. That's what it sounds like. But I, I have to say, I'm not, I'm really not sure about the ge the real geography or the real physics which are underlying here. And that's all the Mishnah has to say about it, because the Mishnah now ping pongs from the outward communication of the date to the inward communication, inwards to the Sanhedrin of the sighting of the new moon. The Sanhedrin knows how to calculate the date of the new moon. They know the calculation. They know whether it's 29. Or they, I mean, they can do the 29 and a half day trick. And obviously they're fixing the calculation so that, for example, Yom Kippur doesn't come on Erev Shabbat. So they're, they're taking care to fix the calendar in a way that makes life easy for the Jewish people. But they will not rely on their own calculation. They rely on witnesses. You can see the tension here between halachic reality and physical reality. So the witnesses need to come into Jerusalem to give evidence that they've seen the new moon. And the Mishnah explains, There was a great, there was a big courtyard in Jerusalem called Beit Yazek. And all the witnesses used to assemble and the court would examine them there. So if you'd seen the new moon on the 29th day, you would come in to Jerusalem and you'd go to Beit Yazak and you'd hang around until the court examined you, until they checked your testimony. And they make great feasts for them there, so they'd continue to come. It's just like any other yeshiva today. In order to encourage people to come, you put on some cakes. So they'd put on lunch, they'd put on, they'd put on food to make sure that the witnesses were encouraged to come, because it's a long way to Jerusalem. And if you're going to be hungry when you, when you arrive, maybe I don't know, maybe you won't come. So they used to encourage people to come by putting on a feast. Originally, they used not to leave the place the whole day. And now we are getting into questions of Shabbat because it was permitted to break Shabbat, to break the Shabbat boundary and to carry on Shabbat in order to reach Jerusalem. If you saw the new moon on Shabbat, You'd still go off. You'd go off and give evidence immediately. You wouldn't wait for Shabbat to end before going and giving evidence. And we've seen, by the way, this, this these ideas in the Mishnah of Eruvin. We learnt in the Mishnah of Eruvin that if someone left the 2000 Amot boundary, if they left the boundary of the town in order to do a perform a mitzvah, perhaps to save someone from flood or from um, bandits, uh, or a midwife. If they left the boundary, they were prepared. They had 2,000 amot wherever they ended up, and they were prepared also, they were allowed also to come back within the boundary. 
And we're going to come back to this same idea in the Mishnah of Rosh Hashanah. Originally, they used not to leave the place the whole day. That is, they weren't allowed, once they got to Beit Yavetz, Beit Yazek, they couldn't leave it because they've they've left their 2,000 Amot in their original town. So they're not allowed to move anywhere. And of course, if that halacha had been enforced, they would never have come. So, so Rabban Gamliel, the elder, this is, the, this is in the time that the temple still stands. This is not Rabban Gamliel of, of Yavne. This is his grandfather. Rabban Gamliel has a ken, he'd kin, shehu malachim alpaim amalacholuach. He decreed that they could go 2,000 cubits from it in any direction, i.e. once they'd reached Beit Yazek, that was their new Shabbat place. And then they had a new 2,000 amot. They could go in any direction. And then he makes the general principle. Velo elu vilvad. And not only these. Ela af. A midwife who's come to deliver a child. A midwife is called a chachama, a wise woman. Chachama. Led, a midwife who's come to deliver a child, someone who's come to take refuge from a fire, or I think this must be conscription, this must be kind of Roman or Greek conscription, or from a flood, or from a fallen building, from some kind of, you know, an earthquake has knocked down the town or people are taking refuge. Any of these people are like the people of the town, and they have 2,000 cubits in any direction. So if you're performing a mitzvah, or if you're taking refuge from danger, as soon as you you, you cross, you travel more than 2,000 cubits on Shabbat, and as soon as you get to your new location, you have 2,000 new amot, 2,000 new cubits, say 1,000 yards in any direction, a new Shabbat distance. And we're going to do that because we want the witnesses to keep on coming. We want to make life easy for the witnesses, or for that matter, for other people who are carrying out mitzvot for the Jewish people. So we'll see this theme in the next Mishnah. How do they test the witnesses? So the pair that arrives first, they test first. By the way, that encourages them to come rapidly. Okay, the first pair to arrive will have the privilege of giving evidence first. They bring in the elder of the two and they say to him, we need two, of course. Everything happens with two witnesses, but they're going to be examined separately. So they bring in the elder of the two and they say to him, how did you see the moon? Was it facing towards the sun or away from the sun? To the south or to the north? How high was it? In what direction was it inclined? And how broad was it? How broad was it? If he said in front of the sun, his evidence is nothing. That's an incorrect statement. Let's have a look at the picture. The new moon. So here's the new moon. And gosh, is it facing? I mean, the new moon looks effectively like a, uh, it looks like a race. I mean, you can think of it like a race. The 
the shiny side is towards the right. And the old moon, the moon that's just finished, has the opposite side round. It's the shiny side is towards the left. So I think I think the Bet Din is asking which way round is the new moon. And the Bet Din know, by the way, that the shiny side is to the right. And we'll learn, by the way, a couple of Mishnaya on that Rabban Gamliel had pictures of moons up on the wall of his study. And he would ask the um, witnesses, does it look like that one? or like that one he'd show them basically he had visual aids he was a modern educator he had visual aids and he he'd ask them to point out which picture it looked like so they'd examine the witnesses and then they'd bring in the second and test him they'd bring in the second witness and if their words were consistent then their evidence was accepted and by the way, Maimonides explains here, and that, by the way, this is the sense of the Mishnayot, which we're going to learn tomorrow. The Bet Din has already carried out the calculation. So the Bet Din knows perfectly well whether the new moon has been seen or should have been seen, and whether it's to the benefit of the Jewish people to fix the new moon on that day. So, for example, we don't want to we don't want to fix Elul such that Yom Kippur call, falls on Friday if we can possibly avoid it. We do not want a fast day on Erev Shabbat or, for that matter, on a Sunday. Yom Kippur never falls on a Friday or a Sunday. You must have noticed that, and that's by design. So the Bed Din know what they want, but they still have to question the witnesses, and they might choose to reject the witnesses. But if they accept the witnesses. Eidutan Kayemet, their evidence is accepted. And then the Mishnah continues. Ushar Kohazugot Sho'alim Otam Rashaidvarim. And the other pairs are questioned briefly. So they bring in all the other pairs. Lo Not because they need them, because they only need two witnesses, and they know the answer anyway. They don't need them. Ela. So they shouldn't go away disappointed. Once they've made that journey and they've had this great meal in Beit Yazek, the Bet Din doesn't want them to go away disappointed because if they go away disappointed, they won't keep coming. So they examine them so they should not go away disappointed. Bishvil sheyehu regilin lavo, so that they should continue to come. It's a wonderful, wonderful psychological motivation. People are motivated by, you know, being needed and being taken account of and being heard, and that is what the Bet Din is going to do. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.